podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Spanish Football Podcast. I'm Phil Kittramelides. I'm joined by a stressed out Sidlo. It's been a, it's been a stressful day, uh, the start of a stressful week, having had a pretty stressful weekend as well. So uh, I'm you're... In, uh, <laughs> I'm in a train station and I must look very weird because I'm literally sitting at a desk in a restaurant in a train station. The food that I bought to justify sitting here, long, long gone. And I'm sitting here with two laptops... Um, on the ta- on the table, uh, a notebook, a bag, cables everywhere, two different cables charging phones and God knows what. And uh, yeah, it looks a little bit weird, but never mind. Yeah, and I'm now nice, obviously I'm nice. now talking loudly, so people probably think I'm a right tosser. Nice scene setter there, um, Sid in a, uh, in a in a in a restaurant in Valencia train station, looking like a right tosser. Right, let us discuss this weekend's uh, footballing action. There were only two games uh, in Spain. One of them was a pretty big one, the Copa del Rey final uh, in Seville, which Real Betis won on penalties 5-4 after it finished 1-1 against Valencia. After uh, 120 minutes, uh, it was uh, tremendous, tremendous, Sydney. You were there to uh, to witness it firsthand. Uh, we also had on Sunday, Rayo Vallecano, the mighty Rayo, beat Barcelona 1-0 at the Camp now in a match, uh, a La Liga match rescheduled uh, from match day 21. Uh, we can talk about that a, a, a little bit. I know you didn't necessarily watch much of it, but uh, I did, so I'm happy to talk about Good. it. Um, Excellent. Very, very happy to talk about it. Um, we'll have a, a... Sorry, are we not starting with a big game of the weekend? We're, we're going to talk about that as well. As well, yes. I was going to lead up to that and to uh, why, you, why you left... Why you left Seville in such a hurry on, on, on Sunday morning. Uh, we'll have a Q&A pod out for patrons on Tuesday, uh, answering all of your questions. We're going to have a bonus pod on Thursday, talking Man City, Real Madrid and Liverpool Villarreal in the Champions League. Plus, we recorded a new episode of TSFP Presents at the Games last week, discussing visiting and watching football in Vigo and La Coruña. So join us. It's just over four euros a month. It is um, pretty good value if you like Spanish football. So the Copa del Rey, the, the Copa del Rey final then, uh, producer Al's put here on the uh, on the production notes. Who wants to go first? Sid on La Cartuja being an absolute shambles, or <laughs> Phil on 10 p.m. being much too late. <laughs> it's pretty damn late, man. I mean, I'm telling you, you were, you were working there. What time did you leave the stadium? I left the stadium about half past two. I got back to the <laughs> hotel about quarter to four, and I had to be out again at six o'clock. So, so um... did not sleep. No, I tried to. I lay there with my eyes shut for a bit, but it didn't actually do anything. No. Anyway, um, I don't think people are overly interested on the... No, uh, I don't think Let's not complain about that. No, the in, well, the intricate shambles of, of, of how difficult it was being a, a journalist in the, in the stadium. A lot of things didn't work. It was a little bit chaotic. But anyway, uh, there was so much to talk about because it was such a brilliant game, apparently. First half was good. I enjoyed that. But then, you know... <laughs> Got a bit late. Uh, Betis, yeah, Betis yeah, the better team, especially in the uh, in the first half. Valencia looked like they might catch them towards the end of the ninety, though. It was, uh, yeah, it was even. Yeah, and I think that's what made it a good final is that it never felt like it was clear who was going to win, even while Betis, even in those long periods when Betis had the better of the game, it was never enough of a domination that you just felt this is obviously going one way. Um, so to, to kind of put this into its context, I thought you had a very good start from Betis. Then after the goal, 
when Valencia kind of stepped out a little bit kind of thought this is getting a little bit more even and, and that was coming towards the end of the first half although Betis did hit the post again uh, just before half time two or three minutes before half time um, and then you had a 10 minute period at the start of the second half maybe 15 where Valencia actually looked really good and I thought they're going to do this they're going to they're going to get this goal now they didn't then Betis started to take control again and if, had it not been for Marmat Dasvili I'm going to try and say his name right for the first time ever um, who made two or three really good saves one in particular one where um, Fakir is very close in on, on his post on the right hand side makes a really really good save there and then right at the very end you have a moment when Valencia break away it's a really good chance for Soler they work a really good opportunity for Soler to shoot it's saved by Claudio Bravo we go into extra time and in a way I don't want to I don't want to overplay this but it was almost like extra time was in the way mm-hmm. I think both did, certainly by the second half extra time to be fair I actually felt that Valencia were probably the better team at the beginning of extra time as well mm-hmm. having struggled through the back half of the second half of the match um, but then by the second period of extra time both teams and this is even with them having made all their substitutions and, and if you look at this penalty shootout I must admit I hadn't realised this every one of Betis' takers was a sub none of the players who started the game took it I didn't realise it at the time uh, I sort of let them look back on it because obviously at the moment you're not necessarily on, on top of all of that um, and in the second half of extra time both teams could barely walk it was extraordinary they, they were absolutely spent it was very late at night it had been a really long really intense game and a lot of fun a really really good enjoyable cup final uh, the penalty that won the cup for Betis was scored by Juan Miranda a lifelong Betis yeah. fan 17 years after he attended Betis's last cup win as a fan there are some lovely pictures of, uh, of him doing the rounds of him in his Betis kit at that cup final uh, very Nice. Sometimes football has these nice little stories, doesn't it? And it was uh, nice for him to win it. We'll get on to Joaquin in a moment, because obviously yeah. he's a big story as well. But, but Juan Miranda scoring this was a, was a nice little touch. Well, I'm glad you said that, because in a way that was one of the nice things about the final, was there were a lot of those kind of stories yes. in Betis's case. Because, of course, you had uh, you got the Joaquin thing, which we'll come on to in a minute. You've got the, the, the fact that this was a first ever Copa del Rey successful Manuel Pellegrini, a man who's been coaching for 34 years. Uh, you've got um, Hector Bellerin, uh, who joined Betis and I genuinely think I'm allowed to say this and even at the risk of sounding naive because people always say oh you're really naive when you, when you kind of fall into this he went to Betis on loan this year because his dad is a Betis fan because he didn't need the money he didn't, wasn't chasing this for, I mean obviously there's a professional element to it as well but it was the sense of look if I'm going to go on loan for somewhere why not go and do something that I might enjoy something that's fun something that's a bit different and, um, and then his dad the Betis fan he goes to Betis and of course I think actually a lot of people certainly in England didn't know that he was a Betis fan because of course because he came up through the Barcelona youth system I think there was an assumption that this is you know a Barcelona player mm. if you see what I mean or a Barcelona fan but instead, this is a guy whose who's family were Betis fans. There was a real sense, I think, of enjoyment from him. And then, as you say, we then get to the Juan Miranda story. And Juan Miranda, who was there when they last won the Copa del Rey in 2005. The photographs are great. And there's some yeah. photographs that his dad put out as well of them on the coach, of him outside the ground with a flag. And, and you know, he gets that penalty, the last penalty. And uh, he says, how do I put this in English? I suppose I, he says, I, I wasn't just crapping myself. I was really crapping myself when it came to it but he actually took a very good penalty he certainly did yeah um, a penalty shootout in which there were no saves uh, which these days is, seems like a bit of a, uh, a rarity uh, but there we go uh, Miranda winning winning scoring that winning penalty at 10 to 1 I mean I'm, I keep going on about the kickoff time 
think we're I think we're well within our rights to keep going on at this kickoff time because 10 p.m. is it's no time for a, uh, a showpiece match to uh, to kick off, irrespective of which country it's being played in. And I know Spain is a nocturnal place. I think I there. think I think it is worth pointing something out here, just because I, I know this has been sort of this has exercised you a bit over the last couple of days, partly tongue in cheek, and it's been quite funny. But I, I actually think that there is there is a bit of a myth that Spain is a late place and therefore this is okay. Right, that is true. Spain is a late place and therefore this is certainly not as bad as it would be in England. But it would not be difficult to find Spaniards who are not happy about this kickoff time as well. No, and it's easy. not as if, yeah. and it's not as if the fact that this was Spain meant that everyone was open after the game. <laughs> it's not the, the fact that this was Spain meant there was loads of transport links after the game because yeah. there weren't. And I walked back to the hotel, and I'm, I'm not the only one. And of course, I left the stadium much later than most people. But there were Betis fans everywhere queuing at um, kebab shops, queuing at petrol stations queuing um, at, at vending machines to try and get something post-game. And I, I'm not saying, you know, we should be catering, you know, open all the restaurants all night for them or do it earlier so they can go to restaurants. But, well, but it, it, it's not entirely true that this is actually properly catered yeah. for. I mean, you know, 8 o'clock would have been fine. Absolutely fine. Everyone's happy. It's no problem with an 8 o'clock kickoff. Anyway, uh, it's Betis's fourth trophy in their history. Only four. Yeah. Only four. A club as big as Betis with a... Um, Tradition as proud as theirs, a fan base as enormous, stadium of 60,000, 50,000 season ticket holders, only four trophies in their history. It's a massive deal for them, and you could sense that. It's, it's enormous. It's enormous. It really, it really is important that, that, that we stress this. Uh, and this is one of the things I liked about this final anyway, but the fact that you had two teams in it for whom the Copa del Rey really is the biggest game of the year. And this really does matter. And in the case of Betis, obviously even more so than Valencia. Uh, I believe Valencia had eight Copa del Reyes. Of course, they won two league titles not long ago with Rafa Benitez. They've been in two, two Champions League finals um, this century, uh, only just at the very, very start of it. They they have been in Champions Leagues recently. Betis, I think the last time in Champions League, I think was 2005. They're on course for, for, for equaling that, which obviously would be their best record since then, which is also the year when they won the Copa del Rey. Um, and this is enormous. I mean, to put this into a context for you, Parkin, who we will come on to in a minute properly, played in that 2005 final, played in this final, has two Copa Rey titles. He's the only person in the club's entire history with two of them, yes. with two trophies with the club. Wow. The only one. And we're going to get Joaquin for another year because he's announced that he's, yeah. he's extended his contract for another year. Definitely thought that he would have maybe gone out on a high here. Came, I did as yeah, well. Came on as an 86-minute substitute. He lifted the cup. He's 40. Milked the celebrations afterwards a bit, obvs. Thankfully, of course. we didn't yeah. see his nether regions. That was fun. Once is enough. <laughs> I was disappointed about that, Philip. I know you were. Um, but yeah, he, he announced in the celebrations uh, last night that he's, uh, he's going to be around for another year more, which is a, a little bit surprising, I guess. But yeah, why not? The decision, the decision was apparently made five or six months ago that um, this wasn't going to impact upon it. He'd said that in the build-up to the final. I must admit I didn't believe him. Mm-hmm. In the sense, not so much in the sense that I didn't believe him in that I didn't believe that he was taking a decision independent of this or, or thinking about it independent of the final. But I just wondered if having won it, he might think, you know what, there's no point in carrying on when I can kind of have the perfect farewell now. I suppose maybe it's not anyway because there's more league games to go, so it wouldn't be his very last game unless he literally said, listen, I'm not going to play again. That's it. I go now. Um, because he'd said he'd made some comment before the game that he'd told his wife, "Listen, if we win the cup, don't expect me for a couple of weeks." <laughs> don't, 
know, <laughs> I'm out of it. Um, I like the way that he announced it as well. He's in front of all the fans at the Benito Villa Marina in the celebrations, and he said, "Look, I don't know if I'm ruining something that was planned here, but I'm, I'm really sorry to have to tell you this. I'm staying. And I think it's probably worth pointing out that he is still useful. Um, I, I think, you know, I've said this a lot, and admittedly, it is partly coloured, I think, by the joy of everything that he's done over the last 20 years. Um, well, more than that, his career goes back even further than that. But, but it is also true that when you see him play, he has things that other players don't have. He has a clarity, he has a quality in the ball that others don't have. He can't last very long, but he's still actually reasonably quick as well. He doesn't actually get outrun all the time. Um, this is a guy, and I was looking at the stats the other day, and apologies if I get this slightly wrong, but I think, um, I think this is a guy who's played 13 games since February. Now, I think only four of those as a starter, but 13 games since February is a lot of games. It's only, what, two and, two and a half months, isn't it? That's, that's playing in most games, albeit not huge amounts of minutes. The other thing about Harkin, from a club point of view, and I think we shouldn't lose sight of this, Yes, this is an emotional decision, but it's also a decision that makes sense. And it's Pellegrini was one of the people encouraging him to stay. And this we know from Pellegrini, but we also heard it from Ruby, and we also heard it, I think, even more strongly from Setien. These are people who like Joaquin, who think he's useful, who think he's incredibly good for the dressing room, and not just because it's ha-ha-ha, he isn't he a funny guy, but that kind of thing helps. And I was talking to someone at Betis... Um, about this and they were saying you know you get a lot of clubs and it happens everywhere where if you like the big iconic player is put bluntly a pain in the arse he's difficult at the end of his career because assimilating uh, a lesser role is hard because the power is exercised not always in a way that's conducive to the success of the collective and in, with Harkin it's completely opposite so this is someone that if he wanted to throw his if you like symbolic weight around if he wanted to, you know, to, to turn the screw a bit on the managers, if he wanted to, to maybe when he wasn't happy, make a fuss about it, even if it was privately, you know, filter bits of information out, all of those kind of things, he could do it really effectively, and he doesn't, and he doesn't. And yes, you'll get moments when he's pissed off, but but the, the, this is this is genuinely someone who's good for the club. Um, and, and, and you know as I say and goes on the pitch and is useful so it's not like it's a huge problem for him to stay and play a relatively minor role uh, also good because another year playing football just delays a little bit his almost inevitable transformation into probably quite a cheesy annoying TV you know what so, yeah. I think you might be right because we all love him for his jokes yeah. but I think that it's, it's possible that he might stop being funny yeah, or, at least, or at least not be quite as funny because the context is different if you sort of mean it, it might not be quite as great uh, we've got to talk about Valencia and trying to assess their season now because this was their season obviously they this reached was. a cup final they lost they're in 10th in the table they're 10 points off 7th which might get European football it might not what do we make then of, of, of this Valencia season and what Bordalas has done with them well, I think it's not just about the season in terms of what we make about it at the end of it, but also about the, if you like, um, what's the word I'm looking for, the coexistence. Bordelas has been very clear that he's not that happy. Mm. He's been trying to keep a lid on it. He's been, <laughs> As most of his predecessors have exactly, been. Exactly, exactly. Yes. He's been trying to keep a lid on it. He's been trying to be polite. 
but there have been lots and lots of very, very heavy hints, and sometimes not even really hints, very direct comments. Katafe, he was saying, you know, estoy dejando la salud, you know, I'm leaving my health here. I actually asked him directly if he really, really meant it like that, and he tried to back away from it slightly, but the point is, he, I think he feels that the effort he's making isn't always either reciprocated or recognised. He's made a point lots of times, and I actually think unwisely, personally, but I don't necessarily, and I'm not sure if I, I agree with him or not, but he's made the point lots of times that we haven't got more. We can't expect more from this team. We can't be fighting for a European place. We're not that good. I'm not entirely sure that's true. For example, I think he's got a better team in terms of the quality of players than he had at Getafe. And he did qualify for Europe with Getafe. In fact, he got very close to a Champions League place. So I'm not sure I totally buy that, but fundamentally what he's saying is right. And of course, he also knows, and this is the other thing that's significant in terms of his future, he also knows that this summer Valencia have to make sales to the tune of 37 million euros before they even start anything else. And that means that Geddes, Soler, Gaia, at least one of those three goes. Probably more than one, or possibly more than one. I don't, I don't know if it's probably or not. And so I think he's looking at this and thinking... I think he knows it's a reality. I think he knows that they're not just kind of deliberately ignoring him, but that he is getting ignored. That the requests he's making, the demands that he's making, the things that he thinks he needs are not being attended to. And the relationship is fairly distant, as it has been, as you said, with, with lots of managers. And I think, I think the Copa del Rey was the thing that bound it all together. And without that, without a European fight, I personally, right now, if I was a betting man, I would say he's not there next year. Wow. Depending, of course, on, 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 I suppose, on whether other promises are made and whether he has somewhere to go. Because, of course, if you're the coach of Valencia, Valencia, however annoyed you are, however unhappy you might be, and I'm not saying he's out and out unhappy, but, you know, however much you think there are flaws, um, if you've got nowhere else to go, it's still Valencia. And Valencia, I keep saying this, but I, I really think it's worth adding again and again and again. Valencia is a massive club. We shouldn't ever lose sight of this. It's a huge club. This final was a great record, uh, sort of reminder of that. These are, in terms of fan bases, jointly, possibly with Athletic, the fourth biggest club in Spain. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think, I think that's, uh, no one's going to argue with that, apart from maybe Seville fans, but you know, they'd be wrong, probably, yeah. uh, in terms of fan base, certainly. Uh, right, we've got to move on because you've got to catch a train and we've got other stuff to talk about. If there is something we haven't mentioned and you want us to, send us a question. We'll answer it on the Q&A pod. We haven't even spoken about Manuel Pellegrini, the engineer, and his magnificent hair and his sensational tracksuits and the fact that he's won the Copa del Rey to go with the Premier League title he won at Manchester City as well. Um, we can discuss more of the engineer on the Q&A pod if you want us to. Uh, but we've got to move on and uh, and talk about this game played at the camp now. It's a historic game that took place last night. Barcelona nil, Rayo Vallecano won. Historic for many reasons. One of them being it's only the second time ever that Rayo have won at the camp now. But also, perhaps more significantly, it's the first time ever that Barcelona have lost three consecutive games in the same season at home. They'd only ever previously lost three consecutive matches at home uh, in the uh, 1998-99 uh, season at the end of one campaign at the start of, of the other it sort of overlapped two games at the end of one season the first game of the other season at home so it never happened in one campaign and it's happened now Eintracht Frankfurt Cadiz and Rayo Vallecano it is pretty eye-catching how the wheels have come off the Chavineta, the little Chavi uh, minibus that he was driving, everybody was in, everybody was getting excited about as well. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about Barca in, in just a second, but big up to Rayo, yes. who won. And yeah. they got two victories in three days when they hadn't won in four months. And also, and also, while it is true that the fact they had such a brilliant start to the season 
has, I think, maybe diminished this. But if we're going to take the season as a whole, and I think obviously when you make the final judgment on a club, you have to do that. If you're going to take a season on a whole, getting to 40 points and safety with five games still to go is a huge success for Ryan. It's true that the back end of the season has been dreadful. I think that's how he was it. Two wins in the whole of 2022 now. Um, it's true that they got dangerously close and they shouldn't have done given the way that the first half of the season went. But fundamentally, given the resources, given the social fracture at the club, given the institutional difficulties, put bluntly, given the president at the club, they have... This is a really successful season uh, and they've played lovely football for most of it. It's true that it hasn't been good since the turn of the year. Uh, and, I, and I think it's actually to their enormous credit. A lot of Barca fans would take issue with some of the antics from Rio last night in terms of time wasting, in terms of yeah. uh, trying to get that victory over the line. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, it's very frustrating when you're playing and the opponents do that. And yeah, it does happen. There was also question marks about a uh, potential penalty on Gavi, which was really a quite strange decision. It looked like a very, very clear penalty. And then in the aftermath of that, there were massive protests. Somebody was, a few players were booked and the referee seemed to have given an offside when the linesman hadn't raised his flag. I'm, I'm genuinely not entirely sure what happened there. And we've seen the re- I've seen the replay a few times. Not entirely sure what happened. People said that an offside was given in the build-up, which is why no penalty was given, but the referee didn't give. But it hadn't been given. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a little bit questionable. But Barcelona didn't lose this game because that penalty wasn't given against, against Gavi. It's been... It's been problematic for them, and it's maybe it's a little bit too simplistic, Sydney, to to boil it down to one teenage midfield Canarian whiz kid. But with Pedri not in the side, the stats are there, and when he's in the team, they play and they win and they play well. And when he's not, they're a different team. There are more things to it. There's more nuances to it, but Pedri's absence is huge. It is huge and much bigger than I think any of us expected. And I include myself as someone, and, and I include myself despite being someone who thinks he's a brilliant player. I didn't mm-hmm. think the impact would be quite this big. I thought there would be a plateauing of his level, or maybe even a decline in his level over the season now, apart from injuries there hasn't been. If anything, he's got better and better. Um, I think what you do in terms of an analysis, and to ask why that happens with him, I think it's because the, the ball is used quicker and also slower in that there are moments when he'll hold and wait for the right pass and he can see that better than others so he can play it quickly if it needs to be but if he has to wait for it he can do it his timing is good and it's better than the other midfielders. it's better than Gavi for example who I also think is a very good player by the way but Gavi doesn't have anything like the vision or the, the, the smoothness of, of Pedri so I think that's really important um, I think it takes some of the pressure off the other midfielders I think, he, I think Paul Sketz combines with him better than he does with the other midfielders which isn't to say that Busquets combines badly with the others he doesn't but I think I think Pedri uh, kind of fits with him far better I think it gives uh, a degree more freedom uh, to because Pedri sometimes plays left and sometimes plays right I think more often uh, it gives freedom to the to the left side of the attacking player um, I think you know it's not the only factor but I think it's, it's part of it and there's a degree of confidence about Pedri which isn't worn on the surface it's not worn as arrogance but there's a confidence in terms of wanting the ball receiving it in compromising positions giving it to others we talked about this before and the kind of parallels with Anderson and Iniesta in that sense in that kind of at some level an awareness of his superiority which, which allows him to take risks that others wouldn't take because he doesn't consider them to be risks um, there are some other things to point out though I think one of them is possibly the psychological element of, of realising the league has gone 
and that possibly has an impact. I think there's also maybe a, a slight lack of, of taking Cadiz and Rio as seriously as they should have done. Um, I think. Well, uh, Xavi himself afterwards he pointed said, that out. This, didn't is, this, well, this is quite a pointed remark. He said, "I wasn't able to motivate my players." Yes. Now I don't know if it is entirely taken on face value. No, it's that not. It's, he's saying mere culpa, or he's saying. Really, he's, throwing he's, them under the he, bus he, a little bit. He's throwing them under the bus, but taking the blame himself, so that he can always yeah. say, "I didn't throw you under the bus." But essentially, what he's yeah. saying is, these guys weren't up for it in the way that they should yeah. have been. Now, obviously, I yeah. think it is true that, by the way, that that is a manager's responsibility up to a point. And I think managers that purely point at players do them disservice because, actually, as a manager, part of your job is about the, if you like, the emotional uh, packaging, if you like, of a match. You know, the context around it, and, and that is a manager's job as well as all the technical, technical sides of it. So I think that's part of it. Um, as you know, because I sent you a cheeky little WhatsApp this morning, I think there are other absentees that are very significant. <laughs> and, and you know yes. that I, I'm, I'm partly tongue-in-cheek here, but I'm going to back away from the tongue-in-cheek a little bit. There's the last four games, three defeats and one win. The win is the only one of the four that Danny Alves played in. It's the only one of the four that Gerard Piquet played in. Now, I'm not reducing it to those two, and I'm certainly not reducing it to Alves as much as I'd love to. But I actually think if part of the issue is about mindset, I think Alves is important. I really do. I really do think Alves is important in that. I think Barcelona is still a team that's got a lot of cold players. A lot of players who don't have that sort of little edge and this is a little bit like what we were talking about when we were talking about signings they're making having to be transformative not necessarily in terms of talent but in terms of if you like that personality and I still feel even with someone like Ferran Torres who's very talented possibly with Ansu although I think Ansu's different um, I, I still look at this team and think they're sort of still a bit cold at times and I think without someone like PK and without someone like Alves and without someone like Pedri who leads in a different way I say through responsibility rather than through you know hot-headedness or, or, or big-heartedness or whatever cliche you want to use. I actually think there is something a little bit missing there. Um, and, and I do think the absence of Pico and Alves is a problem. And I think it's a problem that it's a problem. Because these aren't players you possibly should be relying on, or certainly not beyond the end of this season or next. Because, of course, we're talking about veterans. Uh, Barcelona are six points clear of fifth place Betis, so they should probably have Champions yeah, League football uh, wrapped up. But finishing second, as we know, does have a pretty big financial incentive in terms of playing the Spanish Super Cup. There are millions on the line, which Barcelona certainly need. So finishing second is, is, is a big, big issue. In their case, it's eight million, as we, have, as we found out as we know, last week. As we know, there's <laughs> literally eight million uh, on the line for Barcelona and playing the, uh, the Spanish Super Cup. They're level on points with Sevilla and Atletico Madrid are two points further behind. So uh, let's see how things pan out there. Uh, before we go, we've got to mention quickly, you legged it back from Seville to see Oviedo beat Alcorcon 2-1 in the most dramatic of circumstances, Sydney. I'm so, so happy because I was watching the score. I was not watching the game under any circumstances, but I was watching the score and I was saying, oh my goodness, he's come all the way back to see Oviedo lose 1-0 to already relegated Alcorcon. Yeah. And they turned it around with a goal in the 82nd minute and then a goal in injury time. So, vamos Oviedo. Um, yeah. they're, they're, they're sixth. They're in the playoffs. And they're three points clear as well. So mm, let's see if they can let's see if they can make it. Um, this week we've got Champions League, Sid. It's quite big. We've got semi-finals. It's quite big. Isn't we've got it? two Spanish yeah. sides involved as well. It's absolutely massive. Tomorrow it's it's already upon us. We've got Man City against Real Madrid. Then on Wednesday we've got Liverpool against Villarreal. Uh, I've got to ask you your Spanish word alert: sensations. 
ahead of these games? Uh, I think, I mean, I suppose if you want it reduced to the most basic thing possible, which is who goes through, I think we get a Real Madrid Liverpool mm. final. Why, why, you've been, I mean, all right, I was going to say you've been pretty convinced Real Madrid are going to go through against City. You're always convinced Real Madrid are going to go through, but, but you're That's not the true. only one. Yeah, it's a, a default lot of setting think in part. That this Real Madrid side are going to get the better of, 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 of this Man City side and then potentially struggle against, against Liverpool, but City, they seem. They, yeah, but if Madrid don't lose finals, so if they do get there, they win it. They have lost a final to Liverpool previously, but that wasn't in the. 1981, yeah. it's a long time ago. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. Listen. I'll uh, I'll I'll leave the analysis for the bonus pod of these two of these two <laughs> fixtures. Really, really, really looking forward to them. Uh, they should be a, a whole load of fun. Uh, enjoy those two matches, and we're going to be back uh, tomorrow for a Q and A pod, and then on Thursday for a, for a bonus pod. So make sure you can join us on patreon.com forward slash tsfp. Thank you, Sydney for finding a corner of Valencia train station to get this pod out to the listeners. We thought we might not be able to do it, but we've done it. You've got a few minutes to spare as well to get on the train tranquilamente. So that's good. Good work, my friend. Um, We'll speak soon. Adios, amigos. Cheerio. Network.